Welcome back to Revelatorium, the podcast that comes around once a month, much like a very good album. Because in my experience, you know, there are four to five New Music Fridays in a month, and there will be one that is just a standout. Like the singles are good. There's a just tight record that drops that night. And today I am recording on a Thursday night. It's like 11 p.m. And I had to get on here post listening to the record from Boy Genius because it was a mystical, lovely, sapphic, spiritual experience about companionship and friendship and love and all of all of that goodness. Um, so this month, check mark. Like, we got the album, guys. We got it. We can pack it up. Um, and, and fortuitously, I got home and originally wanted to record because I just saw Michelle Zahner speak, who is also a musician. Some of you may know her from the Japanese the Jap I sorry. The Japanese house and Japanese breakfast, like Spotify doesn't know what to do with those two bands because I type in Japanese and it never quite never quite knows which one I want. But in this case I'm talking about Japanese breakfast. And she's also the author, some of you may know her from Crying in H Mart. Um, and so she was on her book tour. I saw her tonight and she just had such prolific, profound things to say about creativity, about identity, grief, family. Uh, it was just so awe-inspiring and it made me want to come on here and revelate myself. How wonderful that both those events enmeshed at the end of March that I could record this and send us into April on such a hopeful note. And I'm actually for the video viewers, I'm donning the first dress of the year. This is the first time I've worn a dress in 2023, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it's a pretty momentous occasion when you're able to feel the breeze on your bare legs. So let's rejoice for those of us that are in the Northern Hemisphere. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, Hell yeah, it's fall. Come on now. I love those shoulder seasons, those transitional phases. Okay, not to talk about the weather too much. Let's get into some fact checking, which is a new segment I'm introducing to just see how much gobbledygook I am spewing, what is going wrong, what is going right in these episodes. And Lena Daniels is my wonderful volunteer fact checker. So we are going to hear and react to last month's episode from... February, end of February, sending us into March of 2023. So without further ado. Hi, here's another fact check of last month's episode of Revelatorium. In the beginning, Catherine mentions a podcast named Exploration Live, which is hosted by Charlie Barty and Natalie, and she couldn't recall the full name. Her last name is Rodder Leitman. Speaking okay, this is so important because I need to give those two figures their praise. I need, what is that phrase? I need to give them their shine, give them their, what is that? Need to give them their roses, their flowers. I think it's give them their flowers. I love that little phrase. I think it's so charming. Those two wonderful creators of Exploration Live, go check them out. Second Exploration Live name drop in a row. 
because they're going to be coming up later in the episode. Just you wait. Speaking of podcasts, if you try to rate one before listening, uh, it is true that you'll get an error message saying that only listeners of the show can rate it. Check out a few episodes, then come back and give your feedback. That's a good reminder to any of you listening to this one here. If this is your first episode, sorry, you cannot rate. But if you have listened to this and maybe just one more, you now have the privilege to rate it on Spotify. Apple lets you rate it whenever the hell you want, I'm pretty sure. So um, leave one of those for me. Love to read them. And I actually am going to write a nice little paragraph to Charlie and Natalie because that podcast is so fundamental to me. In addition, the concept of looking at yourself a lot on FaceTime or Zoom is also normal. Um, Humans inherently are um, wired to impress or try to connect with one another. See, I'm so normal for completely and totally body checking every single time I'm on Zoom. (laughs) But I will say when I turn the camera off, I do feel more focused and connected to others. So this kind of goes against the fact check, which means I'm incredibly incoherent and illogical and unfactual as a being. And at the very end of the fact check, Catherine mentions wanting to grow a neck beard and looking more into that. (laughs) Neck beard is actually a pejorative term that entered the Oxford Online Dictionary in 2014. And it's a stereotype for adult men or teenage boys who exhibit characteristics of social awkwardness, underachievement, or pretentiousness. Okay. Okay. At least one of those three words does fit me, though. It's giving video games in a mother's basement vibes, so I wouldn't recommend (laughs) associating with that term. Thanks again for tuning in. (laughs) Thank you, Lena, for the concern and the caution. Um, That's the thing about being a free thinker, though. If I want to associate with the term, I will associate with the term. I I don't feel um, particular kinship with neckbeards, though. So anyways... Thank you for that. Let me know if you like the fact checks. I think it's just helpful to have a little recap of what we talked about last time. And um, now that we've mentioned Exploration Live, which is a wonderful podcast from Charlie Barty and Natalie Rotter Lightman, I do want to talk about something that they discussed, which folds into my first revelation. This is going to be a chunky episode, by the way, like a lot, a lot happened in March due to some substances, due to some socialization with old friends, due to a lot of listening of my own to other people's opining and epiphanies. And one sort of idea that they had on Exploration Live is that when you are just brainstorming the endless, endless possibilities for a situation... It is so fantastical and fun and delightful to think about. Like, it is just so, ooh, exciting. Like, any one of these number of things could work out. And then, of course, what their whole synthesis, their whole, you know, um, thesis was, is, of course, a million outcomes cannot happen to you. Like, the million possibilities, only one of those is going to pan out in this version of the simulation for you. Like, if you ran the simulation 100 times, maybe 100 different possibilities would pop out. Maybe the same one would pop out because we don't have free will. That's another question for another time. I've been thinking a lot about free will this month because I watched Three three Identical Strangers. I had a little bit of, like, a documentary moment um, with my two best friends when we were on vacation. Um, two favorite documentaries some kind of heaven 
and three identical strangers because they deal with such concrete notions of like mortality and just morality. What other M words can we think of? Probably those two. Anyway, um, when you have just like endless possibilities, ultimately you're going to have one outcome. And even if it's like one of the best ones of those 100, it's still going to be baseline disappointing because it will never feel as full and limitless and just like wondrous as the 100 possibilities. And that was already something I was thinking about because I was thinking about how something you fantasize about may just not feel that good when you actually encounter it in person. And that deficit, like that dissonance hurts so bad. It it just sucks. And let me explain a little bit more. Um, I've been learning a lot about context. I just finished this book called Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski, I'm pretty sure. And she is like a sexual educator. And so I learned a lot about like essentially like female sexuality but it's a little more broader than that very very transformative book and she talks a lot about about context and how the same thing could happen to you but if you're in a different context like if you're stressed and you have a million things to do someone coming to tickle you is going to be annoying but if you're just like on the couch like just kind of goofing around and someone's tickling you, it might be a little fun and silly, right? Because those are two different contexts. One, you're relaxed, one, you're stressed, but it's the same actual behavior. I struggle a lot with being a Pisces. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know how, but on my book clubs where I talk to like my patrons, a lot of them are Pisces too. So I'm just like, I don't know if I'm just like attracting water signs by being a water sign. I don't know if it's just maybe that one in 12 people is a Pisces and the book club has more than 12 people. So there's bound to be a couple. I don't know, but I love to fantasize and romanticize. Um, and that always holds more fulfillment for me than when I actually encounter the the situation in real life. Um, And it sucks because I'm like, oh, I I don't want to get into too many specifics here because I don't want to dwell on this for too long. But even just like thinking about like sexual fantasies, for example, like sexual fantasies are kind of in a vacuum. It's like those don't necessarily translate to your real life. Like just because you fantasize about some like little situation in your head, you have some little ideation that you're like, oh, that's so sexy to me. If that actually happened to you in real life, that might not be so cute. That that might not actually turn you on and might not get you going. It actually might be like perverse to you. And so it's not always like a one-to-one match. And I've just been experiencing that in my own life of like expecting that I'm going to feel a certain way in a certain situation. But the context is never the context that I've fantasized about. And you can't control context. Like the context just kind of like materializes and then you're just left to like interpret it. So I know this is all incredibly vague, but I wanted to like just explore the meaning, the meaningfulness of context and the importance of context. Cause like she talked about it very specifically in terms of like sexual behavior, like the context matters so much, but I'm like, 
truly even beyond that, like just even in terms of who you think is attractive, the context matters so much because I think a lot of times people will really judge like a celebrity you're attracted to. Like even like Pedro Pascal right now, a lot of my beautiful lesbianic friends like don't get it. Like don't get it. Like they're just like, I don't know why you find him attractive. Da, 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 da. And I had seen, thank you, thank, thanks to Brittany Broski, I had seen so many screen caps before I watched The Last of Us of Pedro Pascal, and I never found him, like, that sexy. I was just like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. Go, Brittany, go. <laughs> I trust her taste. I do. Um, but I didn't see it for myself. And then when I watched him in the context of the scene, him performing, him being a reticent father figure, something about that context switched in me. And thank God it did, because I don't know if I could watch The Last of Us if I were not attracted to Pedro Pascal, because that show was so dark and heavy. Like I needed his light to guide me through the tunnel. And I remember when I was watching Normal People, it was the same Thing. People are like, why are people finding Paul Meskel attractive? And now he's really turned a corner thanks to Furby Boggers. I just feel like people, because she saw him as attractive, now everyone's like, oh, well, he's attractive. And I will say his mullet does suit him very well. Okay. Um, but I have been appreciating his style and, you know, his um, his physical form for quite some time. I really have. And people would judge me for it. They're like, he is so not attractive. What the hell are you looking at? What is wrong? And I'm like, okay, if you do a Google image search of him, I will agree. Like if I saw him passing on the street, just Google image, just random dude, didn't know anything about him. I probably wouldn't look twice, but seeing him perform in normal people like his portrayal of connell was so honest and endearing and emotionally vulnerable at times and intimate oh my god it just completely transformed my like opinion of him so i just want to give that a one one once or twice think over of like what are the things in your life that like you didn't think twice about until the context changes and maybe that's a question I should have asked because um, I do prompts every single month and two days before I film the podcast I'll always share it on my YouTube community tab and my Instagram I'll share out the Google survey for the prompts um, I didn't ask that this week you'll have to wait till the end of the episode to see what I asked they always relate to the to the revelations I have myself of course of course um so yeah, on a similar note, I wasn't going to talk about this, but now that we're on the topic of like people we're attracted to, I don't know why every single episode I've filmed of the podcast, when I go to title it, I've noticed that they all follow like a similar format, but I'm not even trying to follow that format. Like the format has tended to be like something confrontational, like a clash or a disruption or something, then something kind of thought provoking and then something like about attraction or admiring or crushes, that kind of thing. Um, so maybe that's just the way every month of my life goes is that there's a conflict, there's like a loosey goosey idea, and then there's like a crush. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, somehow I ended up on flirt talk. Um, I think it's because I love watching videos of Amelia de Moldenberg who does chicken shop date, and she has just such 
an incredibly like sensual sense of charisma. She has chemistry with every single person on that show. Like she is just able to ignite someone's spirit in like a really captivating way. She just is so effervescently attractive. And actually, that leads into my next revelation, but we'll get into that in a minute. So I've been watching videos of her on the red carpet, just like talking to people and she just lights it up. And then I saw um, a TikTok of an interview with Emily Ratajkowski and this other person whose name is escaping me, but maybe we'll get it on the fact check. So not to freaking worry. Yeah, name is escaping me, but they were talking about how flirting isn't about getting the other person to like find you attractive. It's just about giving somebody the opportunity to express that they like you, which I'm like, that argument didn't seem super cogent, like not super coherent to me. Um, Cause I'm like, how exactly do you flirt in order to give someone the opportunity to express their attraction to you? I don't really know, but it did make me think the comment section was like, all over the map. They were like, uh, I never know when I'm flirting. I never know when someone else is flirting. It just kind of happens. And then later on, when I look back at it, I'm like, I guess that was flirting, but I didn't even think of it. And it makes me think about this particular scenario I found myself in when I was working at one particular job. We're keeping things super vague because I don't want this person's identity to get out. But basically, I had a colleague that I was stationed near (laughs) and we would chit chat all the time and I didn't think anything of it like we were just pals I really didn't think anything of it and then one day the context changed the context changed and all of a sudden I found him super attractive and I did want our little chit chats to be flirting but I still wasn't sure like I couldn't tell if we just like had great rapport and like the conversation just flowed so well or if he was actually flirting I had no way to know like I'm, I've just never had that skill set to know uh, we would like snapchat like a little bit outside of work um, which to me is like a pretty sure fire fire signal but it wasn't very consistent and there was nothing like actually flirty it was kind of just like he would like show me his apartment and stuff like that and then, and then, and I've talked about this a little bit on my Patreon. So if you want the full deep cut of this and like all of the gory detail, you can go find it. I can't remember. It might have been deep cut number five. I couldn't really tell you, but you'll you'll find it on my Patreon. Um, months later, I found like an unlisted Slack channel, basically, of people just gossiping about the office and I found it because I searched for his name because I was trying to find a file that he sent me and they were so up my ass. They were like, KB and da 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 are flirting all day long. They will not shut the fuck up. They're definitely hooking up. They're definitely in cahoots. Something's going on there. And I was gagged because I was like, in one way, in one way, I was like, hell yeah, my suspicions confirmed. We were flirting. That just wasn't all in my head. Like multiple other people think that this that's the case. On the other though, my stomach sank because I was like, um, okay, you guys hate my guts. Cool. But you're nice to my face. Awesome. Awesome. And that actually relates to something that a, a listener wrote in um, on the prompts. Everything ties together. Everything is laterally connected. It's time you realize that everything is super, super not discreet at all. And everything overlaps all of the time. So anyway, a little bit of context, a little bit of flirting. I've just, I also, 
have been going through my old Facebook messages. If you want to get a picture, the most, okay, if you didn't keep a journal and you want to get the most accurate picture of who you were in high school, which I'm not sure that you do. Some of us don't want to revisit that chapter of our lives. Personally, I like to get to know myself at every single age. Like I love reading my diary entries from when I was a kid. Those are all on Patreon too. Not that I'm like really trying to plug it, but it just seems to be naturally coming up in conversation. So why not? Um, But I think that Facebook Messenger chats from high school, at least for me at my age, that's what we used in high school. I remember in middle school, it was like Gchat. So if I wanted to discover my middle school self, I would go to Gchat. I don't know if, if like AIM is even able to be like archived and looked at in that way. Maybe you used Instagram, maybe you just used text, I don't know. But for me, it was Facebook Messenger. And I went through a couple of old chats I had with people, just like completely unassumingly, like I wasn't trying to find evidence of like, you know, flirting or any of that. But I went went through one with a guy that I had a crush on in high school that I don't even remember talking to this much, but we had like so much message history. Like we had like so much more than I remember. I was like, oh my God, we talked all of the time. This is crazy. And, and I was like, I never told him I liked him or anything. Like I just didn't think that he would even see me in that way whatsoever for multiple reasons. And I looked back at the chats and I was like, no, like we definitely both liked each other because now I have the context of like 10 years of age on that girl that was writing those chats. Like I have, you know, been in cahoots with a few different people. So I know what it feels like when you're like trying to get to know each other in that way. And like the amount of time that we were talking, things we were talking about, like it was just so evident to me. I'm like, okay, we definitely both like each other, but I had no idea. And I'm like, oh, what could have been? What could have been if I actually like acted on that and like went for it and shot my shot? So I am in the season season of my life where I am just like letting people know what they mean to me and, you know, um, getting closure, whatever that means. So there's that. Circling back to Amelia de Moldenberg, which I don't know if I'm even pronouncing her name right, but that is the host of Chicken Shop Date. If you're familiar with that YouTube series, it's really excellent. She interviews like musicians about literally anything and they're in a chicken shop. That's the whole premise. I like really couldn't give you any more detail than that. Um, The Rosalia one's really good. The Maddie Healy one's really good. The Charlie XCX one's really good. They're all really good. They're all really good. Anyway, I was talking about her personality and her charisma. And I've also been really revelating on popularity. Give me give me a minute here. Give me a minute here. I'll time together. Because my mom, I went home to my parents' house for like one night before I went on this trip with my friends where I watched the documentaries. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting it. We're getting it. That's what happened. Um, was at home with my parents for one night and I noticed my mom had put up a new flag and she very excitedly told me like, I, I got this new flag. I designed it. I had it made. She hung it up. My family has always been a flagpole house. I don't know what kind of culture that is. I don't know if that's white culture. I don't know if that's suburban culture. I don't know where the it's just festivity like my mom is just a festive person and she was like I'll make one for you I'll send one to you and I was like I don't have like a flag like mast or whatever you need like 
who like I'm walking around Seattle. I'm like, who the hell has like one of those? Like you have to install that. Like your apartment's not just going to come with one of those. But I would like to at some day, at some point in some time, carry the torch of my mother's tradition and get a flagpole because a flag can be a bumper sticker for your house. Yeah. 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 I'll let that sit. I'll let that sit. Anyway, the (laughs) flag she designed was so Bay Area mother. Let me introduce you to Bay Area motherhood. Um, And it said, you are enough. And then after enough, it had a bunch of other adjectives that you are. So it'd be like, you are attractive. You are kind. You are strong. You are smart. Did I already say smart? And then just a maybe 15 words. And I posted it on my Instagram story. And I was like, whichever word pops out to you is the one you need the most. The word that immediately popped out to me on that flag was popular. And I was like, why did my mom put popular on that flag? Like, at her age, you know, she's in her 50s. I'm like, is she still feeling like she needs to tell herself that she's popular? Because I haven't thought about popularity in years. Like, it was such a relevant thing in high school. And I was like, is popularity still relevant? And then I got my answer in the form of Instagram replies. Thank you to my reply guys, girls and NBs. Um, Multiple people replied back and was like, oh, popular jumped out. Popular got me. It's popular. Popularity always that's that's setting me back. And I'm like, why are we all still so attached to popularity like that? Even if you haven't thought about it, the lack of that in your life at whatever point in time like stays with you. And so I've been really mulling over popularity because right after I took that photo, my friend picked me up to drive to the vacation spot for the week. And I asked her, like, have you been thinking about popularity? Is that something relevant in your life? Like, does that have a place as 20? She's 26. I'm 27. Like, does that still have a place in our lives? And she was like, you know what it doesn't, except for at her last job, she felt that it was so out of place, but like noticeable that people like really wanted to hang out with her. Like it was a remote job and people would be putting time on her calendar just to like goop and gag, like gab. Like it, it, it was it was just like so apparent to her that like people really thought she was cool and like really wanted to hang out with her. And she is really fucking cool. Okay. Um, because listen up, like she's an engineer and she has an amazing personality and she's just like so stylish and has great taste and is just cool. Like she just is. So she's kind of at, at that point, she felt like she was ahead of the pack. Like she felt like she was a leader of the pack. Everyone wanted to know her. And she had been told that people in like other signal chats or like Slack chats would be like talking about her like, oh, we, we all like Ellie so much. We think she's so cool. And I was like, that is truly definitional popularity. Like people view you as having a lot of social capital. They want to get to know you. They want to be with you. But for me, I haven't felt that like maybe ever I'm like trying to think of a time where I truly felt like rich in terms of social capital. Like I just felt like everyone wanted to hang out with me and the examples aren't coming to mind. Like maybe there was some really niche one week summer camp where I was popular. Maybe. Actually, you know what there was? There was one year at Girl Scout camp that I went into it 
like begging my mom not to send me because I just like really didn't want to go that year for a couple different reasons. Usually I loved going, but this year things were different. And then I went and we formed this like click and we all came up with names and it was really fun. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm like in the in crowd. This is great. Um, Apparently in terms of Girl Scouts, I was cool enough to be popular in other contexts. Mm-hmm, bringing context back in here. In other contexts, I was not popular. So I felt that that word like resonated with me too, because I'm like, oh, I've always wanted to feel popular. Like I would love to feel popular. I don't know if that would solve all my problems. I don't know if that actually would heal anything within me, but like feeling popular would be cool. But I'm like, is that even possible for me anymore? Like just out and about in Seattle, like it's not a small town. So it's like, it's not like you're just going to be known to like a hundred people. Like there's hundreds of thousands of people here. Like how could you possibly be popular? And I know some of you may be listening or watching this and be like, well, you have popularity in some regard online because there are people following you. And that's not a bad point. (laughs) Because I'm like, okay, it'd be hard for me to deny that like social following is a sense of popularity. Um, so yeah, but I don't know. Am I popular amongst YouTubers though? No, no. Like if you asked 10 YouTubers, do you know Catherine out? Like they probably wouldn't. So in that way, maybe I'm just being a self-defeatist and like pushing myself down. But yeah, maybe that is the one respect. And I just came up with that answer for myself. But, um, I've been thinking a lot about like what modern day, like late 20s popularity would be because that's the phase of my life that I'm in. And um, I really feel like popularity is is being likable and and charisma at this point. In high school, and I did ask this to you all, so you'll hear people's answers at the end and it's so juicy. Like I do recommend staying till the end because the responses that you guys put in about popularity were so oh, just brilliant. I do think popularity at this stage in life, because we're not in like a closed circuit environment. I think that's what's really important to popularity. And that's why popularity on YouTube doesn't feel as real because it's not a closed circuit high school. You have 2000, well, let's say my high school, you have like 2000 kids, you see each other every day for eight hours. And you go through many, many years of that, right? So it's like, at a certain point in time, the social groups kind of shake out and like, it does sort of make itself known who's kind of in the in crowd, who's popular, who has who has clout, who is well liked, like who is at the top of the social hierarchy, mean girls style. But we no longer live in a closed circuit like that. Like we just live out and about social relations are very fluid, like, and fluffy and diffuse. So there's not really a sense of like, okay, within this certain parameter, unless you're in like grad school, or maybe, maybe you're part of like a huge, I don't know, dance company, then maybe there are popular people within that. But I'm not part of any like, community like that. I mean, I like had this like political group that I organized with, but it's all online. So it'd be very difficult to figure out like who's popular in that. Am I known in that? Yeah. And is being known being popular? Perhaps. But I'm, I think what I'm trying to do here is like nail down the definition of popularity because I think it's shifted over time and the popularity in high school is no longer the popularity now. I'm making the argument for popularity now 
being more about being charismatic, being likable, like Amelia de Moldenberg, like everyone wants to talk to her on the red carpet because she just makes you feel sparkly. Like she's just so magnetic to talk to. And that, I believe, makes her popular. Um, And when I think about here, like I have a friend here who just like truly even in the depths of winter, we'll have plans every single day of the week. Like people will be asking him to hang out every single day of the week. And that to me is popularity. Like you are popular. People want to see you because you're popular to them. Like you, you, you matter to them. You have relevance to them. You're clouded up in that way. And I will say in Seattle, like there's definitely like on Capitol Hill, which is like the gayberhood. I kind of hate using that word. I do. I do. But it's the most accurate descriptor. It's a pr- it's actually like it's, you know, a lot of people live there, but it's like you kind of get around like people get around and people start to become known. So I think there is kind of like a pecking order in a way. But um, I think popularity to me at this point, like really means does someone want really want to see you show up at a certain party? You know, like if you're going to a house party to me, the most pop like if I could think of if I'm like, oh, I really hope that Jacob shows up to me, that would signal that Jacob is popular to me, to me. Like it's almost very personal who is popular. Like I don't know if everyone else wants Jacob to show up, but Jacob is popular to me because I want to see him. Um, And that's kind of the conclusion I got to is that like I don't really know where I stand in terms of popularity if we're using the high school term. But at this point, like I'm popular to the ones that matter, like the people that want to see me that think I'm popular, those people think that I matter. And that's who I'm popular to. And that can be that on that. Like, I don't need to be blasted all over. Well, actually, no, I would love to have like literally a million friends like I really would. Um, But then you can't maintain all of them. And maintaining friendship is really important to me. So now I'm walking that back and convincing myself that that's actually not what I want. Um. But yeah, like the people that are my friends think I'm popular. Does that make sense? Like I'm, I think my friends, my friends are popular to me. I need to stop using that word because it's not making sense anymore. But it's like likable, right? I'm likable. Like I have, I'm friends with people because they are likable to me. So I think popularity is more about likability. Um, And I would rather be well-liked by a select group of people than be kind of half liked by a ton. And that's kind of something I, f- I follow into like, just even just thinking about like, s- what success looks like. It's like, I don't need to be um, Dua Lipa and just known by everyone. I'm okay with being more of a Japanese breakfast, you know, being more of a Julian Baker, you know, having like your own sect of people. And like, I think that's what I've really cultivated on the internet is like a bunch of like-minded people. But like, I know that I'm not for everyone, but I'm for some people that really matter to me. Um, So that's what popularity means to me. It's like, I want to be popular to the people that I admire and think that they matter. And I already am popular to the people that matter. So yeah. Okay, moving right along, because like I said, this is a packed show tonight. You guys are getting in on the ground level, and we're going up a few floors. The next floor is talking about perfectionism. 
popularity, perfectionism. Do I have a pop filter on this microphone? No, I don't. Did I pick a bunch of themes and revelations that all start with P's? Yes, I did. Um, Perfectionism is obviously something that I've struggled with in the past. If you've been following me across a few different things, maybe if you followed me prior to like 2020, you would understand that like I'm a perfectionist. I really crave like achievement and doing just like a bang up job. Like what's that gone girl quote where it's like, if it's worth being done, it's worth being done right. I used to really resonate with that. And I like unashamedly was just like, yeah, I see myself in her. I do. I do. I don't see myself in her as much now because I've kind of let go of that. and I've become a little bit more bohemian in the way that I approach my life. But, but perfectionism has not left me like I want to believe that I left that behind perfectionism in like the academic sense has left perfectionism in maybe my creative work is still somewhat there but like not super present but where has this where does perfectionism have a stronghold in my life still in control over the result of like events trips, hangouts with people, meeting up with people. I still find myself really hung up on like, this is the way I want this to go down. And I'm coming out with a video next month or this month, actually, because you're listening to this in April, about turning 27. And one major realization that I had was that, you know, I went on two amazing, blessed, wonderful, uh, perfect, perfect, that just slipped out. I went on two international trips last year and they were bang up trips. But one of them, I had <laughs> I had a trip to the hospital to get surgery on my foot. And another, I like literally a bus pulled away with all of my luggage and belongings. And then when I got home, my baggage was like allegedly stolen, but actually not. So those two things happened. Not great. You never go on a trip hoping that your luggage will be lost and then stolen. And you never go on a trip hoping that you're going to cut your foot open and need surgery. So those two things didn't go perfectly. Um, but I realized that I feel the need when I'm going into those trips to try to guarantee perfection and try to like set everything up in such a way that I'm going to cover all of the edge cases, all of the use cases for what could go wrong. And that way I will control for the result and everything will go perfectly. But of course, it's never the things that I prepare for that happen. It's always the things I didn't prepare for that happen. You can't prepare for everything. Um, And so I have come to terms with like, hey, you cannot just like in a laboratory, manufacture your life to go the exact way you want it to. It's not going to bubble up like that. Like for anybody out there that will craft texts to people in your notes app, you understand what it's like to want to to want to be able to manipulate the result of something. Like if you genuinely think that like rehashing the same paragraph like eight different times, like writing it all up is going to like really, really alter the situation, that means that like you were kind of attached to like the outcome, the result, like you want to like, to like maximize, optimize like the conversation. Um, And I don't do that very often, but I will catch myself sometimes with things that I'm really attached to that I really want to make work. I will like be scripting it in my head. I'll be thinking as I walk over to go hang out with someone like, oh, like, you know, 
what should we talk about like it's not it's not omnipresent it's not all the time but i just do notice like trips events like whenever i'm hosting people and they come over like i really just want everyone to have a good time i want it to go perfectly i want it to go really well and i am now using this mantra thanks to julia cameron the author of the artist's way which is the book club i'm running with my patrons um that i will learn to enjoy the process and surrender my need to control the result. That's the mantra I really need at this point in my life because I find myself getting so caught up in like the fantasy. Like I was talking about fantasizing. I love to fantasize. I love thinking about the a million possibilities. But what is that if not just like thinking about a million results? It's so fun for me though. It's like so indulgent. I don't know how to turn that part of part of me off. I'm like, do I need to turn that part of me off? Am I allowed to just daydream and think about all of the different possibilities and outcomes? And I do it in a way where I'm like, anything could happen. I kind of retain that where I'm like, oh, anything could happen. I am like open to what comes. I tell myself that. But ultimately, I'm still thinking about like, I'm fantasizing about all these different outcomes. But then when the outcome actually gets there, the context is different. The context is that I don't have my luggage. The context is that I'm in the hospital in Mexico. Like the context never aligns with the like dreamed, the dreamed 100 scenarios I've come up with of like what could happen. Because maybe in a way I'm like, okay, if I come up with 100 scenarios, any one of those will happen and I'll be I'll be happy. But there's always a hundred and first scenario that I didn't think about. And that's actually what happens because there's no way to like plan out your whole life like that. Okay, this is actually pretty fortuitous because I just realized as I was recording this that my video cut off recording because I ran out of storage space. And that's not something I could have controlled for and predicted the result. And that was not something I was prepping for. I was prepping for my phone to die. So I plugged it in because I'm filming it with filming this with it, plugged it into charge, plugged my laptop into charge you know, brought a water here because I thought it maybe I'd get parched. But the the storage running out of space, I tried to work around and I couldn't. So yeah, I've just been really thinking about how to like, detach myself more from outcomes. And it's just, I, I, I'm never going to be able to live up to the fantasies that I spend so much time thinking about. But the thing is, I, I think part of the fear is like, okay, let's say I stop fantasizing. I'm fantasizing about a two-day vacation I'm going on with my friends. I'm thinking about all the different things we could do, all the different outcomes, all the people we could meet, all the perfect times we could have. Maybe I spend like, maybe I spend, I don't know, Maybe I spend like 15, 20 minutes a day fantasizing about that for the two weeks leading up to it. And then the actual two days get there. It's almost like I feel like the fantasy, the fantasy, I'm like extending the amount of time I can enjoy that experience, you know, because I'm like almost living in that experience. I'm living in the future in the present. And I know how important being present is, but like, God, if you're like a dreamer, you like to you know, idealize, ideate. It's just so fun because I feel like you just get to like, I'm like, I don't ever want to, I know that time's going to be so good. I don't even ever want to leave it. So I'm going to preempt it by already living it now. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. But of course, I never make any goddamn sense. 
So yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how to detach myself from outcomes. But is that, you know, does that mean I can't manifest anything in my life anymore? And I'm not like super serious and gung-ho about manifestation, but I do enjoy like putting a call out and putting an intention out of like what I want to receive and seeing if that flows to me. I am a little bit spiritual, agnostic, faithful, and that I do believe like, you know, what you put out there like will return to you if you're really said about it and you know you pray to run you pray to catch the bus and you run as fast as you can right so i'm like if i'm trying to detach myself from outcomes does that mean i can't pray to catch the bus anymore cuz i like praying to catch the bus but there um is this one tiktoker i follow i'm not going to name names maybe some of you follow her anyway she recently got in a new relationship with somebody and um I think it was a I think it was a guy. I don't know, but I'm keeping it anonymous, so who you will never be able to gender check them. Um, I think it was a guy. Anyway, and she revealed that now they've been dating for a few months, before they started dating, he would sleep every single night with a piece of paper underneath his pillow that said blank blank will fall in love with me. Like the name of his current girlfriend before he started dating her, he put her name will fall in love with me underneath his pillow and he slept on that every single night and then they actually did end up dating. They were like TikTok mutuals before and she was in another relationship and then they broke up and then he like made he like made it happen. And then she revealed that he has another one that I think he puts underneath her pillow that says like we're going to get married kind of thing. And I'm just like, it like scares me a little bit. It scares me a little bit. I'm like, oh my God, that's actually like wizardry, wizardry. But I'm like, what is, what is that type of manifestation? If not like, like insane attachment to outcome, like that is a specific outcome, a specific person. It wasn't time bound. He could have made it more specific, of course, But like, that is such an attachment to an outcome. And that's such an every single day before he went to sleep, obviously, he was thinking about my head hits the pillow, I'm making this wish. So you're living in the future constantly, you're always thinking about what you want to happen, what you want to happen, what you want to happen. And I'm like, making this connection in my mind where I'm like, wait, is manifestation just exactly what I'm doing where I'm not enjoying the process? Well, I am enjoying the process and I'm trying to control the result, you know? trying to guarantee perfectionism of like, this is what I want to happen. This is my perfect outcome. Like, let me manifest it happening. And that threw me for a loop. And I also started talking to people about it. And one of my friends brought up that like, typically manifestation, the the way that, you know, they see it is that you can't manifest what someone else's behavior will be. Like, usually your manifestation would be more about you. Like, oh, I want to hit a million YouTube subscribers. That's not something I'm manifesting, okay, to be clear. Um, but some people will go out there and be like, I, you know, want to be a professional ballerina and they'll manifest that for themselves, praying to catch the bus and then running as fast as they can, putting in the work, going to dance class, doing all that. That's a little bit different than manifesting like, I pray that this famous ballerina will do a duet with me. Is that what you call that? I don't know. 
I don't know why I'm bringing dance examples when like I don't know the world of dance well enough to like bring these examples to life. But now I've stuck with it and I'm in the mud and we're going to wrestle with it. So, um, yeah, like you you can you can manifest something for yourself. That's kind of within your own control, but you can't manifest something that's in someone else's control. But I'm like, oh, that gets really fuzzy, too, because like. I don't know that just that just gets fuzzy. Like we're all interconnected. Ultimately, nothing's ever 100 percent within your control. Like that's the whole point of manifestation is that a lot of little things have to align. So I'm getting a little I'm getting a little worried. I'm like, do I need to delete the part of me that likes to manifest, that likes to daydream, that likes to think about, you know, all the cool and fun and whimsical things that could happen? Because to me, it's kind of like almost extending extending the future in a way I don't know how to do that because I've literally been like this my whole life like somehow I found a way found a way to leave the academic perfectionism to leave the work you know workaholism behind but this part is reticent like I don't know how to detach myself from outcomes in this way besides just to tell myself the same mantra which is that I learned to enjoy the process and surrender the need to control the result okay but I'm like Okay, if I come up with 100 results I'm happy with, I'm good with any one of those. <laughs> Which is a little bit different. Okay. I know I know we're running, we're running time-wise. Like we're running way the hell over, but just bear with me. Like that's the whole point of this revelatorium is that I come on once a month. I'm just fully downloading, okay? Like we're not doing this every week, so you're getting the full month and I told you March was full. Like I don't know what else to tell you listen to this on 1.5 speed maybe I don't know I already talk fast enough okay the final revelation I want to talk about was that I have come to terms with the fact that I am a laser dome shadow artist okay and what I was saying at the top of the episode actually not one but two of these revelations came out of a night at the laser dome which is my like favorite place in Seattle. I think it's so novel and unique and cool and artistic and wonderful. It's basically just this planetarium type dome at the Pacific Science Center, which is the most beautiful architectural building, beautiful arches designed by the same person who architected the original World Trade Center, prolific architect, okay? They do laser dome shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, and they do them to music. So we went to the Fleetwood Mac one last month. I've been to Doja Cat. I went to BTS as my first one. Tame Impala, Billie Eilish. Um, they did a Stranger Things one, and they basically just design laser art. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what goes on at the laser dome. I just want to tell you that. I love going so much. I've realized because, and I'm such a fan of it because I want to do it. And you can tell me if this relates to you, but like I have, I've realized over the last couple of years after reading The Artist's Way, where she introduced the term shadow artist, which is essentially somebody that instead of participating actively in the art you participate passively so maybe you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or partner that is a screenwriter and you get to have access to that world through them but you don't actually do it yourself or maybe you love you really want to be a dancer so instead you just like go out every weekend where you can dance but you're not actually like fully pursuing it like maybe you're an entertainment lawyer because you like 
movie production, but you want to be in the safe side of it, like that kind of thing, like you limit yourself from fully being that thing because it's scary and dangerous and like risky. Um, I'm a laser dome shadow artist. Like I love what they do. And it's a similar software to what I use to edit my videos. So I know I could do it. It's just a very specific medium because the only way to like practice is to have a full laser dome at your disposal to see how the lasers would look. Um, and it's, it's just, I'm just so, I'm just so happy I stumbled across it, but it, but it's made me think of all of these different things in my life that I really want to pursue. And it's almost getting overwhelming because I am getting into DJing. My friend just, just gave me her hand-me-down or their hand-me-down turntable. So now I have something to mess around with, but I have the software. I have music I want to mix. I'm like talking to DJs when I see them out and about, like I'm really serious about it. Like I really want to do it because I realized I love watching TikTok sets, YouTube sets. I love watching the boiler room. Like I've just in the last like year basically gotten really into like DJ sets, but not just like house music. Like I really love actually Kai. If you follow like Drew and Enya, like their podcast um, audio producer, like he will do um, DJ sets and I love them because he'll mix like Sufjan Stevens into like Sky Ferreira. And I'm like, that's my taste. I didn't know you could like DJ like that. I thought all DJs like DJ EDM, but I'm like, no, 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 they don't. So seeing all that DJ stuff and then working through the artist's way, which I've plugged so many times, but like, that's just how present it is in my life. I don't know what to tell you. Um, being exposed to it that much, I was like, I like this because I want to do it. Like I'm watching it so much passively because I want to do it actively. I'm just too scared. So I'm like, oh, I'll just live vicariously through them. So now I've been trying to pick up the DJing thing because the reason I got into DJing actually was because I loved creating a power hour set in Mexico City. I made an hour long mix. I love power houring, which is where you you have 60, 60 minutes one song every minute. So you'll get a 60 second cut of a song. Um, and then every time the song is up at the end of the 60 seconds, you take a shot of beer. Um, and so it's just like a fun, it's the only way I like to drink. Basically, the only way I like to drink is at a power hour or around a campfire. Those are like the two settings that it's ex- acceptable and meaningful and like fulfilling to drink. Other than that, I almost always I'm like, eh, I could have gone without the, the alcohol actually. So I really enjoyed doing the power hour and everyone there was like, you need to do these like out and about in Seattle, like you should host like power hour sets. And I was like, wait, you're so right. Like I'm power houring was me being a shadow artist for being a DJ because I didn't know how to make a mix, but I knew how to like just cut 60 second songs and put them next to each other. But that's like basically one step away from DJing. So I was a, I was a shadow artist for DJing through power hour. But now I'm taking it one step further with the shadow artist analysis. And I'm like, is DJing a shadow artist for making music? Like making your own music is mixing other people's music. Is that being a shadow artist for being a musician yourself? Because some DJs do make their own music. Some don't. Um, I'm just trying to be like a local DJ. I'm not trying to like become Diplo. So I'm like, shit, do I actually want to become a musician? I do want to become like a singer songwriter. So maybe, yeah. But God, I've just been thinking about all of the different mediums that I want to work in. Like I love, I love karaoke. Is that because I want to be a performer? I want to sing and I want to perform? Limitless, limitless. 
And now we will briefly do a speed run through taking and leaving because this month this month was not as much about taking and leaving. It was more about revelation. Last month was more about taking and leaving and less about res- revelation. I am going to take my new hair. If you're watching on video, I have little bangs now. I have more of like a shaggy cut. Some people say it's like a little 70s rock moment. Um, it's different for me. I don't think it was met with as, as much jubilation as when I originally cut my hair like super short and it was blonde. People like that. People like that. People are not as jazzed about this cut, but I think it's fun and it makes me feel um, like I have more of a sense of style because it's like it like, has more of a point of view as a haircut than my other haircuts have. I haven't quite figured out how to style it, but we'll get there. And then second, I will be taking shuffling, which is this new dance style I took a class in and I need to take it in a different context. <laughs> context. Um, different context. Most people shuffle at like an EDM festival. I don't really have an interest in going to an EDM festival. The reason I started shuffling is because I saw this group of like six people in like Melbourne, Australia on like what looked like a DDR board and like an arcade doing it. And that's the context I want to do it in. But I don't even know how to get started there. So I'm taking shuffling with me into April, best believe. That was something I did in March and I really enjoyed and I'm taking it into April. What am I leaving in April? No, what am I leaving in March? People being loud on the bus. Stop. Stop it. I know I can't actually leave that because that's based on other people's actions and behavior, not mine. But like, I would really love to make a plea for like, can we not scream on the bus? Like, you're allowed to talk. We don't need to be like screaming, though, like yelling. Okay. And now, finally, I'll be leaving Goodwill prices. I went to Goodwill expecting to have a great secondhand haul. And it was, I got a lot of things secondhand, but not for any cheaper than I than I would have bought them at Target. Like a pack of socks, $11 at Goodwill, $12 at Target. I'm like, what's going on here? What's going on here? Why was the duct tape at Goodwill $7? Like, I'm pretty sure I could get that for cheaper at the hardware. Like, I just don't know what's going on. Is it my specific Goodwill? Do I need to find a different thrift store? Like, it was a little shocking and disparaging because I've been a Goodwill I know Goodwill has its issues, okay? But the the ethos of secondhand shopping is something I agree with. And I just, I was upset to see that. I really was upset to see that. Okay, now we get to go into your prompts. I really, 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 really have been waiting for this part of the episode because I love reading through them. Um, I read through every single one. I obviously can't voice all of them, but I read through every single one. And this time, y'all were having a month There was a lot on the page for this month. The overarching themes were like frustration with friendships and jobs, but honestly, just like a lot of turmoil in March, I will say. Um, So we will start with, um, we'll, we'll start where I just left you off, which is what are you leaving behind in March? And the first thing I have is from Jay in Orlando, who's 25, and she's leaving behind being overly attached to coworkers who I wanted to be closer friends with. They've stopped inviting me to hang out outside of work, and I was feeling really down on myself about it. But I'm coming to realize that I shouldn't base my opinion of myself on how others treat me. And this links back to what I was talking about before when I discovered those coworkers, they were talking about me in their little gossip chat but they were being nice to my face. 
I don't know why you'd want to hang out with someone who doesn't want to hang out with you. That's something I heard from one of my other coworkers who was popular. And I was aghast to hear that from her, that anybody would not want to hang out with her because she was really popular and like effervescent and fun. And she told me that and it validated me so deeply because I'm like, damn, even you struggle with this. So yeah, if people don't want to hang out with you and they don't recognize how popular you are in your own right and how likable you are in your own right, why would you want to hang out with them? And this is coming from someone who did exactly what you did. Like I really wanted to be buddies with my coworkers and be in with them and hang out with them after. And I would go to like little happy hours and stuff. And then I realized I, the whole time I was thinking, do they like me? But I wasn't ever asking myself, do I like them? Like, do I like spending time with them? Am I getting anything out of it? Because most of the time it was no, it was kind of hollow time. I didn't really feel compatible with them. So I think you're really in the right headspace going into April. I really do think you are. All right, Katerina, who's 21 in Northern Italy, and there were a lot of international respondents. Like we got somebody from Autorea, Vienna, um, Wales, Athens. I was like, let's go. Let's go around the world. We're taking Cather out worldwide. Um, Katerina is leaving behind a lot of exhaustion due to not prioritizing my need for sleeping, spending time alone, doing nothing. I would also like to leave behind the feeling that everybody I know is lying when they say they love me and they actually say it just because they pity me. But I think it will take a lot of time to leave this behind. I just feel for you, girl. (laughs) I was talking to my friend about this, not not thinking thinking that people are lying when they say they love me but never taking compliments at face value like always kind of thinking that people are giving comp- compliments compulsorily like if i tell someone i love the movie you made or i love the song you made i'm always saying that with my whole chest and i mean it i don't just give out compliments just for just willy-nilly just just to make someone feel good i do it because i'm like i really want you to know this But somehow when people give me compliments, I'm like, oh, they're just saying that. They don't actually like my new haircut or they don't actually think that my outfit's cute. Like they're just saying that. And they could be, but I need to start taking people at face value because if I want people to take me at face value, you got to start where you want to end. Okay. And then Soteria, who is 25 in Athens, Greece, left a nice little poem. What are you leaving behind from the month of March? Staying inside for too long. Working longer than I should saying yes when it's a no, trying to do everything at once, anticipating to reach the end goal. Beautiful. I had to just include that one because it was so beautiful. Okay. Now, what are you taking with you into April from the past month? Is it a new haircut? Is it shuffling? Let's see. Anonymous, who's 22 in Denver, said that she is taking, I love this one. It's so juicy. Are you ready? Drunkenly reconnected, she drunkenly reconnected with an old fling after running into each other at our watering hole in March. Love the watering hole. I need myself a watering hole. Which one of you has a watering hole? Um, so anyway, they ran into each other at a watering hole in March and we had a pregnancy scare. I'm staunchly pro-choice and non-religious, but as I was waiting for the pregnancy test to give me an answer, I realized a part of me hoped it'd be positive and that I wanted something more meaningful with him. 
The test was negative, but I shared what I learned about my feelings with him. And to my delight, he said he felt the same way. Falling in love the past few weeks have been, has been so delicious. We're in a very sweet spot at the moment, and I can't wait to see what April will bring for us. And I just think that's so wonderful. What what a wonderful result. I'm just so happy, like genuinely just so happy to hear that. And I love, I've, I don't think I've ever like reconnected with an old fling, but like I've been thinking about it and I'm like, that could be a fun moment. I love, I love a fling, but, and I usually leave things in the past once they're in my past, but that could be a good moment. Okay. Sally Washington, who is 25 in the Bay Area, said that she's taking with me more hot chocolate. And I love the specificity of that. That was the whole response. And I have been drinking some great hot chocolate. One thing you need to know about me is that I have an amazing hot chocolate radar. I can walk into an establishment that serves breakfast and I can tell you from the jump, maybe even from the Google image, maybe even just from the address, if they're going to have good hot chocolate. Like there is something within me that knows, that knows. Similarly, well, actually, no, conversely, Sarah in Los Angeles, who's 31, is taking consuming far less sugar than I was in 2022. So maybe leaving some sugar behind. And I have been really struggling with my sugar dependency. It is one of my deadlies. Like it really has a chokehold on my life. But I have realized it does follow my menstrual cycle. And so I get some relief from it. And then it comes back. It waxes and wanes in my life. And... Sophia, who's 24 in Mexico, is turning 25 in April, and I've been so scared of growing up and the change that will come from it, like having more adult responsibilities and having to get more serious about life and whatnot. This one is so beautiful and poetic. Get ready for this. So I want to take with me the idea that although lots of things will probably change in this coming year, I will still be my 24-year-old self and my seven-year-old self and all the versions of me that I've been through the years. And I can tap into them anytime. I don't need to shed skin and become a whole different person. I want to take with me this willingness to embrace all seasons of my life. That was prophetic. Truly, truly, truly. Like, that's what I'm talking about. I want to get to know my high school self. I want to get to know my six-year-old self and my diary entries. Like, I want to know all these versions of myself because they're all still in here. They're all still in here. And Blake, who's 23 in Atlanta, Georgia, baby, is taking sitting on a blanket in the park, healthy masculinity, and unapologetic trans joy into April. And I just had to include that because I'm so happy for Blake, who recently came out. Um, And it's just such great, great news. Okay, now we get to talk about popularity. Because Literally, like, I didn't know if everyone was going to, like, understand what I meant by this. You all deeply understood what I meant by this. And not a single person in, like, over 50 respondents, by the way, wanted to go ahead and come out and say that they were popular. And I don't know if that's because necessarily if you're, like, a YouTube viewer, if you're, like, a podcast listener, that means, like, you couldn't possibly have ever been popular in high school. I don't know. But I will say, like, the people that peaked in high school, like, they were not, like, internet kids. Like, they weren't, like... And even if they did post, they would be posting some cringy normie shit, you know? So maybe necessarily, if you follow me, you're not popular. (laughs) 
Okay, have we ever considered that? So yeah, I asked people, have you ever been considered popular? And at this point in your life, does popularity as a social dynamic still feel present? Why or why not? And the first response I have to recap is Shelby in Southeast Michigan. She's 25. And she said, at one point, I think I was queen of the nerds. So popular in a very specific environment. What's a synonym for for environment? Context. I was heavily involved in nerdy hobbies like band and won many mock election awards voted by my peers. And this killed me because I very specifically don't even need to look at my Facebook messenger to know that I really wanted to be queen of the nerds in high school because I was also a band kid. That was kind of like everything to me. I like worked at the zoo, but that wasn't really like anyway, I really wanted to be queen of the nerds. Like I wanted to be admired, revered by the nerds and I think I was a queen to some nerds but not to all of them like I don't think I ever reached that status so congratulations that's huge she also said I don't think popularity feels as present as a social dynamic in my life now I more so see people on a spectrum between social butterfly and none oh and social butterfly and lone wolf both these types of people can be great friends and I value how they treat me more than how well liked they are interesting Yeah, it's like, I don't really care how well-liked someone is. I just care if they're likable to me, like if I like them. Okay, we have another one from Jay in Orlando, Florida, who said that I very much feel that popularity is an important social dynamic. Even in my adult life, I found that some friends in the friend group have more social capital than others and are more likely to get people on board with plans and such. And I thought this was such an important reference. Like, that is a gauge of popularity. Like, I remember being, and this is this is very high school, but I remember being at this actual watering hole in Vancouver with my sister. And we were hanging out there, dipping in the water, and there was this group of clear freshman in college that had just met they were trying to befriend each other and there was this one kid who kept piping up to be like hey guys do you want to like go get hot chocolate in the dining hall after this and people didn't really give a clear response like there were some girls there were some guys and everyone just kind of like hee hee ha ha hoo hoo like would just like talk to themselves like what wouldn't really respond and then we could hear him again later on be like oh, do you guys want to go back to the dining hall after this? Like we can like, you know, warm up, like get some hot drinks, da, 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 da. Like repeated himself. And I just felt for him so much because I was like, oh, he's really trying to like, he's really trying to like, you know, get this group together and like, you know, have them spend more time together. But like, you shouldn't have to be like pulling at straws to like make people want to spend time with you. You know, like you, it shouldn't be so hard to like make plans. But even in my life now, I will notice like, you know, there are some people who just are a little bit more relevant. And if they pitch something to the group, it's going to be a little more well received. I don't know what that is. We need to study it. We need to study it. And maybe we can find a study on that in the fact check. Who's to say if you don't Lena, don't worry about it. Okay. Anonymous in Chicago said that I have never understood popularity as a concept because of the contradictions between what I would think to be the definition of the word and the way that popularity is portrayed in popular media, especially about kids in school. Does popularity mean well-liked by many? Does it mean visibly attractive slash wealthy slash athletic and therefore well-known? Because the latter certainly does not feel present in any meaningful way in my life, and the world word popular feels like it carries a connotation that doesn't fit the people I know who are genuinely kind and fun and therefore have lots of friends. And this is exactly, this is why I'm like, it's so 
freaking crazy to connect over the internet because I didn't even tell you guys what I was going to say about popularity. And so many of you already had the same thought where it's like, we need to like adjust this definition by decade because when you're in high school, popularity feels different than now. In high school, being attractive and wealthy and athletic, that is going not going to guarantee you popularity, but it's going to get you close. It's going to get you close and probably there most of the time. But being well-liked by many and having lots of friends, that feels like popularity today. Okay, moving down the freaking line. Okay, this is another anonymous writer from Columbus, Ohio, who's 25. In middle school slash high school, I was best friends with the popular people, but I feel like I wasn't super popular myself. I feel like I still witness the dynamics of popularity play out in my life, but it's hard to define what, sorry, but it's hard to define and it feels more personal than objective. I think I conflate popularity with outgoingness and charisma, the Amelia de Moldenberg principle. But in adulthood, I view popularity as the ability to make connections easily, almost. It's not how well-known or well-liked someone is per se. I don't know. I think I still feel jealous of people who fit the definition of popular, even if my definition is subjective to me. And this this goes directly against the last person. The last person said being well-liked is being popular, perhaps. This person is saying, I don't know if that's what it is. And that's what I'm talking about. We need a new definition or we need a new word. Or maybe we need to just reject popularity in general. Like, I don't think, I think it, it, there can be some wholesome applications of popularity. But in general, it makes people feel like a sense of lack. Like, there's not a lot of abundance with popularity because popularity feels scarce. It's like there can only be a few popular people in a sea of people. So I think that's why it's a hard word to reckon with and not many people want to associate with it because we just feel like you have to be top 1% to be popular. Like, no, but not everyone can be popular because then popularity wouldn't exist. But if popularity is just being likable, then we're all popular because you're likable to somebody. Okay. The fourth question I asked this month was about shadow artistry. I kind of asked it in a roundabout way. I asked, if you could be successful in any art form, what would it be? Just to see like it, what shadow artists you might be right now. And whatever you respond is probably maybe a medium that you want to do yourself. Lisa, who is 24 in the Netherlands, said either writing or sewing is the medium that she'd want to be popular in. Though I really always say I want to be a homo universal. Homo universale? A term from the Renaissance, you can find it under polymath, but it means someone who masters all art forms. I was going to look this up, then I was like, you know what, let's leave that for the fact check for next episode, because I feel like I want to explore more of what that is, because I am somebody who likes to dip my toes very horizontally in a lot of things, but not go too deep in any one thing, which is why being a shadow artist for so many different mediums, like laser artistry, being a DJ, being a singer songwriter, it's like overwhelming, because I'm like, those are things you kind of have to go deep in, and it's hard to go deep in a lot. Okay, somebody else said... That's okay. This is this is getting unwieldy. Bella in Brooklyn, who's 25, said YouTuber. And I highlighted this because first of all, was the only person to say YouTuber. And second of all, I have noticed that being a YouTuber and the like the associations and reputation that has has shifted so much over time. Like I I struggle so much calling myself an artist for what I do on YouTube. I do. 
But I think that people are recognizing YouTube as an art form now. Like it's been around long enough that it's starting to take its hold as like a new wave medium. And I've seen a lot of YouTubers try to push the agenda that like YouTube like videos are art. Like it's not like there's some subcategory, like subclass to short films and films. It's like we're right there. Um, And so it kind of was validating to see that you thought that was an art form because I'm like, it is an art form, but I just struggle with saying that it is. Okay, I also loved this response from Caroline in the Bay Area, who's 24. I would like to be successful in general house repair. After living in some janky places, I would consider house maintenance an art form. And oh my God, being a fixer-upper is like the sexiest thing ever. Like when someone would just, if someone could just know how to fix the plumbing underneath my sink, Oh my God, that material skill set, holy hell. Like being a tinkerer, knowing how to fix things. Oh my God. I think it's because I admire that because it's something I lack. But yeah, that's certainly to me an art form because it's like you're a problem solver, you're out of the box thinker. We got some folks that said Anusha in Anusha, Anusha in North Carolina is 24, said flower arranging. I think that's such a beautiful art form. And Alia in Norfolk, Virginia, who's 25, said, I love drawing Zentangles. The better I am at that, the more fulfilled I feel. And that's another thing I'm going to leave for the fact check because I don't know what that is. And I think it's going to be really freaking cool. Okay, deep breath, sip of water. We're on our last question and then we're home free. Scott free. We're home run, whatever it is. The last question I asked, which... I got delightful responses, enlightening responses to. Do you think manifestation means attaching yourself to a particular outcome? If so, is there a way to release that attachment? If not, why? Like, is, am I, I'm asking like, do you associate manifestation with attaching yourself to an outcome? Is there a difference between those I'm not seeing? Because I'm really starting to feel like manifesting is just really attaching yourself to a future outcome. And these responses were across the board. Chloe in New Zealand, who's 18, said, yes, that's exactly what I think manifestation is. The only way to release that attachment is being unsuccessful in the attempt of having that outcome. Giving up, but it's not really giving up. It's letting go of an idea that no longer serves you and weighs you down. Taylor, who's 25 in Iowa, said... I think it can attach you to a particular outcome. It's the way that it has been most present in my life because of the way that the higher rates of success were said to be achieved by having the most specific details possible. So yeah, Taylor is saying that like you get the most success when you manifest by giving the most specific details. Like I am going to be accepted into the University of Virginia on April 11th, 2014, that may or may not be a manifestation that I used in high school and it didn't work and it pissed me the hell off. And that's why I stopped wishing on 11-11. Okay. So then we got a dissenting view from, I think, Iowa. I think Iowa. No. Manifestation does not mean attaching yourself to a particular outcome. It means setting incredibly clear intentions and repeating your values out loud in one form or another. 
When these things become clear, your values, you allow yourself to clear mental and physical distractions and have the capacity to allow those things to happen or notice opportunity in an otherwise busy world. Whether the outcome happens, whether the outcome happens the way we want or not, isn't the focus. It's a bonus, but it won't matter as much when you're clear about the values and continue to live with the right intentions. And I like this because I'm really big on values. Like I talk a lot about the value of friendship in my life. Um, But I'm wondering, like, if we take it back to that TikTok context, instead of saying like, blah, 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 will fall in love with me, would your value just be like, I am loved? I am capable of receiving love? Would that be the value that you'd manifest in a very vague way? Because I don't know. And then and then if something finds you and fits into that, you're like, hell yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, Caroline in the Bay Area again said, um, I think manifestation can mean attaching yourself to a particular outcome if you are envisioning a particular outcome to happen. However, it may be more productive to manifest a particular emotion, e.g. closer, closure, contentment, celebration to feel, which could apply to multiple outcomes. So let's say if I'm trying to manifest a, like a splendid trip with friends, I'm like, okay, I'm manifesting that I feel relief and laughter and joy during that trip. And that's kind of what I manifest. That's still to me like, that's still to me attaching myself to an outcome though. It's still like, I want to feel good after this trip. I want to feel like, and that's really normal. (laughs) Obviously you're not going to be like, I want to feel bad after this trip, but like it's still attaching yourself to like an outcome, right? And you're going to like have an expectation that you want to feel that way after the trip, you know? So this is why I'm like, these responses were clarifying, but also muddying. Okay, Sally Washington said, current understanding of manifestation is living presently in the spirit of the desired outcome, (laughs) which is, I think, what I'm trying to arrive at. I'm trying to live presently in the spirit of the desired outcome. Like, I'm trying to inhabit the feelings of that experience before I go on that experience. She said, no need to attach to the material form of the desired outcome when you already embody its spirit and vibe. The materialization of the desired outcome is just the cherry on top. Like when the trip actually happens, that's just the cherry on top. I think a lot of what we try to manifest materially reflects a spiritual whole that craves wholeness. So it's like we're manifesting something because we're lacking something. That one gave me a lot to think about. Like, I'm going to be thinking about that one for a minute. And that's where we'll end because that one was mystical. I don't know if I even fully understand what you were saying, Sally, but like, I think I'm understanding it and I think I'm trying to apply it. So thank you for tuning in to the mega fourth revelatorium episode. I wish you all well in the month of April, enjoying the spring or the fall Thank you so much for listening. I will see you all next time. And Cather out.